On this episode of AV Week, how the Cisco Apple deal impacts AV, the Avenue certification and whether or not it matters, and the mic that you can toss around. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Extron. This is AV Week, episode 212, recorded Friday, September 11th, 2015. Moral ambiguity. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Hello. Welcome. For those of you who are in the U.S., it's the start of football this, this weekend, and I'm quite excited about that. So, we'll get to that in a second. First up and foremost, the left-hand side of my brain, I think, if I remember that right, Mr. George Tucker, engineering coordinator for World Stage and all things groovy. How are you, sir? I am all right. I am left-handed, so that would be the right side of your brain. Okay, the right side of my brain. I don't there you know. go. That just means I'm never in my right state of mind. Uh, or, on, or, or yours. You're at the left coast <laughs> here. We've got Mr. Josh Frago. How are you, sir? Oh, getting by, having a little fun, laying down the law, doing what I can. You sound very, very, uh, I don't know what you sound like. It's been, you know what, kid? It's been a long, it's been a long summer, and I'm ready for the summer projects to be over and yeah just put it that way you ever had one of those one of those weeks where you just go you sit down on friday afternoon and go what the freak am i doing and why am i here that would be every week well, <laughs> then you need a new job brother <laughs> typically isn't every week for me but the number 42 that's all i ever answer it oh very nice very well done all right um first up and foremost this may very well take the entirety of the show especially with mr i uh mr uh, internet of not internet of things but mr net neutrality here um so a little company called cisco got in bed with a little company called apple <clears throat> Rear, 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 rear. Well, here's the thing with that. And you, we were talking. I was talking with somebody the day. I was talking with a, with a client, and um, they said, "Hey, did you, did you see the the, the Apple uh, announcement this week? You know, bigger iPad, the Pro, the 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 stylus that Steve Jobs said he never wanted. Uh, you know, the keyboard that looks really close to a Surface. All that jazz." I said, "Yeah, I I, I, I saw it. That's kind of cool." I said, "That's not really the biggest story. The biggest Apple story of the week." He's like. Really? What was? And I said, well, that's this one right here. Cisco and Apple. Here's the deal. Um, what Cisco and Apple, and this is their joint press release, quote, unquote, Apple and Cisco today announced a partnership to create a fast lane for iOS business users by optimizing Cisco networks for iOS devices and apps, integrating iPhone with Cisco enterprise environments and providing unique collaboration on iPhone and iPad. Josh, I'm going to let you go second because you're probably going to take more time than Mr. Tucker. So, Mr. <laughs> Tucker, what does this I don't mean? That. <laughs> well, I, you you, well, you could surprise me, but what does this here's mean? Here's the questions I have to ask, all right? So, and I'm clear on, on some of these. Um, is this external or internal networks only? Because if it's, and you know, just in general through the infrastructure of, say, walking around uh, in, the, in the streets, then this is a problem because it's excluding other innovations and other products. So partnership or smartnership, if you're doing it in the general public and only certain people with certain products can do it, then I think some of our agencies might have a problem with that. Um, I also just find it a bit fascinating that they would require this. It just seems to be... Fraught with danger and something that's not really necessary. I don't know. It's sort of like having a purple phone. Uh, Josh, tell me if I'm wrong, but it just—I don't know. I don't—I don't see a heck of a lot of, out of this. My, uh, since you passed me this article to look at, and I've thought about it for a few days. The first thing that I will start with is: Can you say class action lawsuit? 
Thank you. Yes, okay. Um, imagine the business environments where you have cross-platform devices. You have Windows devices, you have Android devices, you have Chrome devices, you have Apple devices, like all of these things commingling on a network. And now all of a sudden, your Apple devices are treated better. Well, this looks... This starts to get into a, a very, very touchy area about is a business dictating what devices you're capable of using? If not, what's what are you open to? It does lead towards preferential treatment towards these things. I mean, that's that's the big thing is it's going to lead to fast lanes for iOS content and iOS devices. And the one part of this that really stuck with me is the idea of I'm you, you start to get into – are they, and I'm going to use this term very, very loosely, starting to try and monopolize what technology is being used in those environments? And if there's going to be preferential treatment in these environments, it gets into a very, very touchy way of dealing with that because, yes, Windows uh, – let's not forget, Microsoft showed up at the Apple event this week and touted the thing that has made them more money than anything else they've ever developed, which was Office and talked about how the new office is going to work great with the I, uh, the iPad Pro and how it's going to do all these wonderful things. And the day before that, they also mentioned how they're going to expand their Surface uh, availability through Dell. So that way Dell now has the capability of selling that. And in office environments, Apple still isn't the dominant device in terms of the actual PCs. And this is the part where the clarity seems vague to me about this Cisco and Apple deal is, does it apply to iOS? Does it apply to OS X? And there is a big differential there because there's a lot of businesses that still live in uh, the Windows environments uh, as opposed to living in the OS X environments. However, if it's you get into BYOD and you're talking about the Cisco telepresence solutions, now you're dealing with okay, there could be some really cool partnerships and really cool things going on with the availability of tablets and standardizing on the iPhone uh, for business applications, which some people are moving towards due to better encryption. So due to the better encryption of iMessages and due to other things that are going on with that, now you're dealing with an entirely different concept of, okay, I could see it being very, very cool for the iOS world and the iOS platform. But if they're going to try and make this partnership extend over to OS X, that's where it's going to get into this. I, I see a class action lawsuit. I see um, monopoly uh, mm -hmm. issues that are going to start, come, start, start to come into play in terms of development and how other things are treated because now all of a sudden they're basically declaring war on every OS that isn't them, and it gets into a really, really touchy matter. But you go, But going away from that, Will this also drive people to move away from Cisco that don't want to support the Apple platform? So now are we going to start to see more people moving towards an extreme networks world? Are they going to start to move more towards uh, other, uh, other network to uh, manufacturers and even moving away from Cisco uh, telepresence because they don't want to live in that iOS or that OS X world? Will, like, will we get the shift in both directions, and will this literally draw the line in the sand between the Apple fanboys – and mm -hmm. I say that as somebody who drives by the skeleton of the spaceship every morning um, – and the other people, and, you know, the people that live on Surface. Mind you, I'm doing this from a Surface Pro 3 right now, <laughs> so I've already picked my side. <laughs> but I'll still whip out my iPhone to make my phone calls and get on all of my uh, all of my other convert, uh, conversational communication needs. So yeah. how are they going to deal with the people that are working on cross platform in that in this environment in that way? I also wonder if this is a hell's gate Pandora's box to saying well if Apple can do it for their for their OS and for their um, specific uh, apps why can't we do it in general for the internet and our services that we deliver? Why can't we have tiered services? Why can't we? Why are we being treated like a? Uh, you really facility? just asked me that question. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> because the FCC said no. That's yeah, why. well, but then there's common practice, isn't there? But well, he gets away with it. 
but again, this isn't the way that this is framed is not around what hits the outside internet. This is framed on what lives on your inter on your business intranet. Mm. This is your enterprise solution. This is what's living inside of your building. This has nothing to do with touching the outside world. It's how you're dealing with your communication within your offices. And if they're going to start giving preferential treatment, Technically, this goes outside of the FCC's realm, and now we're starting to look at the FTC realm. And so what will the FTC have to say about how this is going to go down and how these practices – and will the FTC actually be able to do anything about it? Because then you're getting into, well, I'm now you're telling a business how to, how to run its operation because you're saying what you're doing is an unfair practice because you're restricting limitations right. of what devices can be worked with when in essence that's that's the business's decision to choose do I want to operate with Cisco knowing that it has an iOS preferential or an OSX preferential or do I want to choose a different switch manufacturer so we're starting to get into that moral ambiguity area of do I go with the uh, yes theoretically this is just open marketplace. They have the right to do this in order to try and improve sales and try and improve their reach. And Apple has notoriously never been great in the business environment. But when you take into account all the things that they're doing, the, the partnership with IBM last year or earlier this year, yeah. can't even remember when that happened anymore, um, in order to deal with the cl with, with cloud things and all of the things that they were doing within that enterprise storage environment. And now they're going into the network partnership with Cisco. How far are they going to go to try and oust Windows, and given the fact that we are moving into this mobile environment, I mean, I've talked to several manufacturers in the AV environment and construction environment in the Bay Area, and a lot of them are moving towards either Surface or iPad for their field people because they don't want to carry around a, light, a laptop anymore. They want even easier tools to, uh, to carry with them, and so they keep exploring that. And so we're starting to get into that environment where BYOD isn't BYOD anymore. It's now company-provided device that is a BYOD, and you're starting to move farther and farther towards that. Yeah. And if you're getting preferential treatment because of networks or because of some other situation, at what point will this reach uh, – Will again, will the line be drawn that, well, if I want to use an Apple product, that means I have to use Cisco? Or if I if I don't want to use if I want to use Windows, then I need to avoid Cisco because if somebody gets on with Apple, it's going to screw up my network in some way. But and here's the other thing with this: in the, uh, I, I see two two different sides of this. And to to address some of the concerns that you guys have brought up initially, I, I read this release and it says you know it specifically mentions iOS business users, right? So back to to Josh's point about what is this iOS or is this OS X? I see this more as the 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 mobile platform, whether that's a tablet or or a phone or or an iPod. Um, I, I see kind of the the class action suit and, and giving preferential treatment. But to your point, Josh, you know, if if I decide I don't want to be an Apple house, and and Apple has been very difficult to work with historically when it comes to enterprise, um, then you don't you don't choose them. You know, you don't you don't use the Cisco. You use an HP. You use somebody else. Uh, you use a Microsoft for crying out loud. You know, um, and the other thing is when it's when you look at education and you look at education and you look at control. First, the thing with education, education is huge when it comes to the iPad. There are universities, there are K-12 that are giving out tablets and the ones they're giving out predominantly are iPads where and, and education is a big consumer of Cisco, right? So those two factors put in. And then you bring in the thing with, with control. One of the biggest complaints that people have when it comes to using iPads for control is this network lag, right? Where you, you're, you're not, it's not always on or you have drops and stuff like that. I see this as a boon for control. Whether I don't, I don't care who's, whose control you're using, Crestrons, AMXs, whoever's, uh, Extrons. I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's it's always been this this thing with the the iPad app, where keeping connectivity sometimes is difficult. So I see I see this announcement as as a positive in that direction. Now whether or not they're able to keep it because of the whole you know being unfair thing, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Join late. I just got the link to join you guys. So sorry that I'm. That's all right, ladies and gentlemen. Mark from I'm, Beale Street. How are you, sir? I'm good. <laughs> good. Doing? He has a good to you again. You, you. He has a Patriots thing in his background, and so I'm not gonna 
ask any no, questions. No, it's a giant thing. Huh? It's a little closer. It's a Super Bowl. Oh, it's a Giants and and Patriots. Okay, it's a Super Bowl. Okay, there it is. New York Giants. All right, sorry about that. Super Bowl signed helmet by the entire team. Very nice. Very well done. All right. Uh, next up, Internet of Things. The uh, there's a brand spanking new um, foundation uh, has been developed here. The Internet of Security, Internet of Things Security Foundation has been formed. Um, it's a large list of, of different members. Um, this is from, from the EE Times. The And Josh, we're going to kick this off with you first. First of all, is this something that we needed? The AA? Yes, yes, yes. God, yes. Okay. Oh, for the love of God, we needed this. So why? Okay, Molly Bloom. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Um, if you're going to be dealing with the Internet of Things, you're talking about hundreds, potentially thousands of manufacturers that are all interpreting how their devices are going to connect to a network and potentially interact with A, each other, but definitely interacting with uh, the network at large, either your home network or the internet if they have to reach out and ping a database in order to order your next set of diapers, gallon of milk, whatever it may be. So if we have all of these devices that are living on a system and there isn't some form of standardization over what security needs to be in order to protect this data, in order to protect that access, we are screwed as to what data is going to be available. I mean, security in and of itself is already a touchy subject in general because there's so many issues and there's so many complications. But now that we're dealing with more and more devices, which are carrying more and more personal information, thinking of all of your smartwatches, in, for instance, which carry potential, oh, I don't know, health data, making sure that that data is protected is going to be very, very important. So seeing all these groups starting to come together and saying, okay, well, we have to look at security. We have to make sure that this is protected. And I mean, it goes so much farther beyond that because smart devices isn't just something, isn't wearable anymore. As we, as I don't know, we talked about on that open mic a couple weeks ago, it gets into your car now. And making, having all these interconnected devices, being able to communicate with one another and not have security on them is going to be detrimental uh, to A, the safety of the people that have them, and B, adoption because of that lack of safety. All right, Mr. Tucker, uh, what do you think about this whole thing? Is there is there a reason that we need this uh, Internet of Things Security Council? Well, I think that Josh pretty well summed it up. But the truth is, yes, there is no real definable standard that protects us from using these mesh network devices, is what they really are, uh, from the data being gathered in some way that we don't know, as Josh said. Uh, there are a multitude of manufacturers doing a multitude of protocols who are supposed to be sharing data where in it is the security to say we need uh, that we, we're not going to let that data slip out. As Josh says, uh, the iWatch with the heart monitor or with medical stuff. They showed that off at the Apple uh, event a couple of days ago where it was really high level medical stuff. <laughs> and uh, the gentleman from Bill Street is showing that. Uh, but. So there is a real concern there. This is no longer just your refrigerator telling you that you need more carrots. This is high-level, high-profile data that is probably a honeypot for people looking to garner information and do identity theft. So, yeah, it has to be. If this is going to happen, and it's happening on the, the building level. There was the B, the, what they call the building Internet of Things, the BIOT, in which they are controlling entire regions and real estate areas, buildings, entire buildings based on an Internet of Things mesh network communication. You don't want someone being able to screw with that or make it cold or make it hotter or turn all the, uh, the heat off of the pipes to freeze. I mean, those kind of things are really serious issues on what most people see as a consumer level, uh, in, uh, sorry, consumer level product in which it's not. All right. Uh, Mark, from your standpoint, uh, whether that's you know in the office or in your home, are you worried about security when it comes to some of these devices? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I don't think I can talk to the level that the our other two gentlemen here are more of an AV guy than getting into networking and you know, Internet of Things. But I, I, I have more of a consumer-oriented view toward that. You know, like I said, I was kidding around showing my iWatch. But 
that whole thing about security and allowing your data to be out there, whether it's you know for near field, you know, swiping your Apple Pay or anything, anything like that, you, you, you just it's, it's an easy example to give because you look at the target getting hacked and governments. I mean, there's so many ways that people are getting into our personal data. It just seems like it's just one easier way to get in because it's it's sort of out there without some security methods. It doesn't take more than one time of people messing with your personal data to probably have you freak out that you're never going to, you know, have anything electronic in your life again. You know, I'll go back to writing pencils and crayons. And I, so I think it's going to, I just hope that we don't regress because of all the technology out there and start to shy away from technology because of the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's go ahead, funny, George. It's I'm sorry, the, the right? Trump, but it's the millennials don't see a lot of privacy as being privacy. And when they want privacy, they use temporary. So the periscopes, the Meerkats, the Snapchats, Snapchats yeah. these are big things because their idea of privacy is letting it go away. Yeah, somebody could save it if they really wanted to, um, but for the most part, they're looking at that. Everything else is wide open. It's living out loud, as they say. I think you hit um, a great point of the age groups. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and to, to Josh's point, this data floating in the air, it's sort of like, I mean, you know what synesthesia is, you know, people who see sort of can see music and colors when it plays. This to a hacker is the synesthesia of data. It's sort of like, oh, just plug it right out of the air. There it is. Thank you very much. Sort of like a Wi-Fi encryption key that just travels with it. You know, what's, what's that? Or the, dong, the, uh, the dongle, yeah. Well, and, and yeah. The other thing is, uh, and I, I brought uh, politics up the last time we had uh, an open mic. Uh, um run, run. Hillary Clinton kind of was she was joking and you take this joke for what it's worth she was joking that she likes using Snapchat because the messages automatic delete automatically delete once she's done with them so mm. it's a so server well. funny never mind all right <laughs> for my buddies over at Daily sorry, Duke that was a punchline that's oh, shut up you know what I missed it God I will I shouldn't say I, I will never put you know mention politics on this show again because i'm sure i will <laughs> but you have every year at least once or twice a year at least once or that. twice yes um all right so <laughs> for our buddies over at daily do the uh, digital signage federation the only independent not-for-profit trade organization serving the digital signage industry in the u.s has announced a year-over-year -year membership increase of 18 percent here's the interesting part mr tucker uh industry consultants up 47% in general. Uh, vendors is 33%. That's kind of interesting. And then end users, 32%. Um, what does this tell us about this industry? Is it is it one of these things where people are finally finding out about this organization? Or are we really kind of hitting a, a, a nice stride with, with digital signage? Well, I mean, they, the number again, how many percent are consultants? 47%? 47%. Wow. Well, I, I don't know if that speaks to consultants can just basically specify it and it's sort of off the shelf kind of gearish or is this that people don't quite know what to do with it but know they need to do something <laughs> i wonder if that's really what's happening uh, it's sort of the akin to the you know we're clients what do we want something when do we want it we don't know um so <laughs> I, i'm not quite clear why that would be although it concerns me i would think that uh you know you wouldn't really want the consultant you'd want the media content people to be your one-stop shop. Create content for me for my in-store stuff. Who's supplying the materials? They'll find them. Why am I needing a consultant? I'm not clear on that. Hmm. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Strago, from your perspective, is this you know, kind of a, an up-and-coming thing, or is this just, hey, they're finding out about this now? I think that exactly explains why there's more consultants, is a lot of people are starting to say, well, how do I do this? What am I doing? They're, they're going to somebody to ask. Uh, a lot of these business owners, you know, it's digital signage is, is still one of the biggest growth markets. We see the reports on it every year that it's continuing to grow and continuing to be a, a bigger player in terms of the AV space. And there's been a longstanding argument for several years now about who creates the content. You have got it. I mean, you have you have distributors now that are offering content services in this industry. So uh, you get into that kind of application, but yeah, it's these people. So you get these AV folks that are going up and saying, hey, you need these things. And you have these end users. And yeah, the end users are up because they're trying to find out more. They're trying to get more information. And consultants are seeing this as a money-making opportunity. Maybe they don't sell anything, but they get to sell their time to advise and say whether or not it's going to benefit them or how it'll benefit them. In terms of the content creation, I still may, and I'm, I'm in the minority in this one, I still maintain hire yourself a graphic designer. It'll be cheaper. 
It depends. It depends on, on your on your level, though, doesn't it? I mean, you you've got to hit a, a certain critical mass before that makes sense, because you know graphic designers don't make minimum wage. They also don't make a hundred thousand dollars a year, obviously, depending on where you are and all that jazz. So. Well, and you can also outsource to them as separate people. So even if it's just an outsourced graphic designer, but you have the thing is nobody knows your company better than the people that live uh, that work in your company. If you have okay. internal marketing or you have an internal plan or you have any kind of development of any kind, then you have the best knowledge of what you want your message to be. So taking that message of what you want your message to be and then applying it and saying, here's what I wanted to do. Help me create these graphics or help me create this content relying on outsourced people to do that and yeah AV people could bring those people on on board but the cost of employing that somebody for an AV company and the cost of outsourcing it to a third party I mean you can find those people on uh, on several of the uh, interface sites on the internet these days of hey I need to find a graphic designer let me go to uh, and off the top of my head of course I'm blanking on any of the websites Elance, uh, Elance, Odesk, Odesk Fiber, all those guys. yeah yeah, yeah. Those. they exist and and they're helpful, and sometimes you can even name your price as yes. to what you're willing to pay for those kinds of things. So getting the content creation uh, is an entirely different aspect, but seeing the growth and seeing the interest and seeing it develop. And and, and as we know, it's it's been proven that having that second – I mean having the second screen experience at home for media has improved drastically uh, – the way that shows and the way that other media is received and the way that it's interpreted and the way that it's absorbed by the people and having that screen in front of them to give them something to interact with for your products only improves that drastically when it comes to sales. All right, Mark from, from and, and I'm not going to ask you, Mark's uh, from, from Beale Street. They make these really cool speakers. Um, the, the, the DSF uh, executive director said the digital signage industry is demanding more professional development, networking, and real business opportunities that connect buyers and vendors, regardless of the vertical, right? Whether you're selling speakers, you're selling displays, you're selling digital signage. How do you do that? Uh, is I guess the best way to ask that question. How do you how do you connect buyers and vendors uh, in a in a seamless uh, in a seamless uh, way? Can you ask that for me? Yes. Yeah. Sure. No. Happy to happy to answer that. Well, wow. There's <laughs> obviously the the large trade shows are are there. You're talking about the so to, when you say vendors and buyers, you talking about the dealers and you know, the people that buy from the dealers. Kind of both, yeah, right. I mean, you're you're, you're looking for both. Yeah. Well, there. So then, okay. Then there's several parts. So the obviously the trade shows that are in existence, you know, the infocoms of the world are one thing. Uh, I've been actually involved in local shows. It's more for the residential side, but these are rep-sponsored shows called uh, Technology and Business Summits, and these are more tabletop one-on-one experiences where manufacturers go off not to show off all the cool stuff that they have but they have some real one-on-one time there's education usually with these events and they're for dealers that really just don't go to the trade shows as much as these dealers are out there they love the infocoms or the CDS or the ISCs over in Europe over the world a lot of times they just don't travel for lots of reasons they're too busy they don't want to send their people they don't want to have the expense so these one-on-one conversations about what they have uh, in their in their uh, portfolio are very valuable dealers wouldn't, wouldn't get exposed to that otherwise when they don't go to the events. So that's to the dealer side. To the end user side, well, it goes back to some of the consulting questions that uh, the other gentleman were talking about here a minute ago. But then I think there has to be a lot more outreach to educate the people of what's available because I'm more on the residential side than the commercial side for sure. But on the residential side, the better dealers are going out, they're finding the architects, they're finding the designers, in this case, they're finding the specifiers for these buildings that create these atmospheres because AV and other things what I have seen are a hindrance or a hassle or an eyesore to the people in these industries. So going out to show them how they can have technology integrate with what they're doing is something that I, I still see as uh, is, is very flawed in the way most dealers go to market. Mm-hmm. That helps. No, it de- de- definitely helps. That's why, that's why we ask them. All right, uh, from our friends over at AV Network, avnetwork.com. That's New Bay. That they, they have all their, their a lot of their magazines all together on that one site. This is a question for you all, and and this is going to be kind of fun. The drill down Avenue certification. Does it really matter? Uh, and we have a, a fabulous quote here, quote unquote, independent third party verification brings AV to the next level of technology. Oftentimes, we find that we're discovering. 
whether our devices and control systems like to talk to each other through trial and error, says Josh Trago. Wow, that was that was Hi. awesome. Uh, so here's the thing, it, and, and in all seriousness, uh, we've we've dealt with Avenue. Good Lord, three or four years now. Um, we've done some podcasts for him. We've we've had him on the on the show a number of times, and and, it, and I'm still I'm still optimistic about them. Right. Um, I think they've had some missteps. Uh, I, I think that 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 Dante is has has come to the forefront a lot, but I, I think that that their certification is is very interesting, and, and I think that it, it does matter. Uh, Josh, since since you were the only one of, of us four that was quoted in the article, uh, does it really matter? Yes. Um, it, it, I mean, it's it, as as I said, and it it matters simply because we're dealing with a, and it goes. I mean, it's it's repeating myself from the IoT conversation, which is we've got all these manufacturers that are making products based on their interpretations and their designs and what they wanted to do, and there is an investment made by a lot of the control manufacturers to talk to those other products, but having this third-party verification ensures that it actually happens. One of the interesting things that came up um, recently is, uh, and, I, and I asked this question at Infocom when, when Tim, you and I got to talk to uh, the folks at AMX and SVSI, mm -hmm. was how they, how they view the future, given the fact that SVSI was originally just its own video over IP, but now that it's partnered with a company that also makes control systems, how are other control systems going to feel about that and in terms of wanting to play in that backyard? And with what TS, what the Avenue folks uh, dealing with time-sensitive networks and AVB are doing is they're creating an environment where it's all about just making sure that the data is getting between the points. It's, they're, they're basically going to be being able to play referee to all of these manufacturers, whether or not, I mean, they may not want to play with each other, but if you want your product certified under this, they get to sit there and say, okay, well, you have to be able to talk to these things and you have to be able to do it in a certain way. And we have to make sure that the data is getting across. So if there's tweaks to the code and tweaks to the things that have to chat, have to happen, that's still verification. And that can be made in field that can be made during um, the certification because the, the level of certification still isn't quite there yet in terms of understanding in terms of my understanding personally as to how deep they're going into what is being certified is it just translating what data is being transmitted is it translating is it making sure that it's talking to all other avp players i'm still a little unclear about that part of the avenue message um personally i i'm sure if i asked or if, if i searched the information is out there but having that third-party verification brings us into the it communication world where they have bodies that deal with this, ensuring that they're meeting a standard, that they're meeting this level, that they're meeting a base minimum for having communication between devices. And that's something that, as a, as a communications protocol, has never really existed in the AAV world. I mean, we have RS-232, but everybody gets to interpret it and everybody gets to write their own variation on what the, uh, the ASCII's, ASCII codes are going to be in terms of going into those devices. Wouldn't it be nice if all the displays actually had the same code for power on, power off? Oh, Wouldn't that bite be your great? tongue. Don't get me started on hex-weighted ASCII or ASCII-weighted hex. I'm just bringing it up as the point <laughs> of creating that, that base level standard. And theoretically, with the way the Avenue Alliance is going, they can say, you have to communicate in this way, making, it, making seamless integration much simpler, much easier over time. Okay, and and to be a little bit more clear, if you're not familiar with how that happens, they, the if you want to get your product, I'm gonna pick on Mark for a second. If Beale Street had an an a a, a TSN uh, speaker and it had a, a RJ45 in the back, and they wanted to make a, a, a Beale Street a, a a TSN speaker, they would they would send that speaker to the University of New Hampshire, and they would spend the time and and have all the uh, all the rigors in place and the rubric to test that speaker, right? That's what happens. And that's what we're talking about when we say certification. Josh is right, though. If you just want to say, hey, we're using a, you know, TSN, we're using the Avenue um, protocols. No, we're not certified. They could still, in, the, in theory, kind of do their own, their own you know, stuff. Uh, and then if they want to get it certified, then, then they have to play well with others. Uh, Mr. Tucker, you and I have talked about um, not only 
what Josh just mentioned, you know, having the, all the same displays talk to each other at the same time. Uh, we have famously talked about SMPTE on this program more than once and, and the loveliness of it at the time. Love uh, my time code. Exactly. That, and that's kind of what it was, right? It was it was universal time code. And I could wax rhapsodic about Vitsi as well if you want. Well, uh, <laughs> let's not get started on drop frame at this point because syncing that's just a pain. No, it's not. You just do you know 29.97 and you're fine. Sorry, that was a bad nail. Sorry, the three. I'm glad the, the it was a bad I'm video glad joke. Is what it was. The math yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> So why why does stuff like this matter? Why does just having a body like this? I mean, Trago, you mentioned the fact that that the IT uh, industry has has bodies like this. Why does this matter in AV? Well, certainly everything that Josh said is true. I mean, you have to have some sort of set of standards. Um, look at uh, I keep getting it wrong. CEC, CEC. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there really a body that's supposed to govern that? Yes. Do they really govern it? No. no. Does it work? No. no. So, I mean, therein lies your, your proof of the pudding, as they would say. Um, these guys are here to say, look, it should be a standard, as I've said often before, like MIDI, in which they've hammered it out amongst manufacturers to say, this is what it does. If you want something special, there's this little side place for you. And there you go. So you can differentiate your product and you can still be on the network and work flawlessly. And no one has to blame the box for doing something because, you know, it's certified. Um, I do like that they've actually done a threefold uh, testing, too. You know, Josh was mentioning, or you mentioned, I, I apologize, about sending it to a university. That's a backlog. That's a real problem for developers. But they do have an in-house capability. So if you're smart and you have the resources, you can get your stuff verified much quicker down the pipe by doing it yourself than sending it off, I guess, for a you know, final verification and stamping of the approval. But I like the idea for those reasons. Uh, let's get it to work. Let's actually get something like, that has the TSN capability, and we can verify that, and we're not buying a gray market product, and then nothing works, and everyone scratches their head for three weeks, losing money. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, feel like I was just good at space balls. Jeez. <laughs> it's a switch for more money. Gracious. Um, <laughs> all right, Mark. Yes. As a manufacturer... <laughs> <laughs> How does this work, right? And I'm not asking you specifically for, for TSN uh, because I'm not aware of Beale Street having any, any Avenue certified products or even any Avenue products. Um, you could break a news right here and tell me that you're developing one. That would be really cool. Um, but how does... Huh? Newsflash. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, does this, how does it work working with, with groups like this? I am... Is it a positive experience? Is it a negative experience? Is it does he, Do you think it helps you know your business grow? In terms of standardizations, and yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, again, if if you limit it just to loudspeakers, which is you know our focus, I mean, a loudspeaker is a loudspeaker. I mean, the way we do things is very different because of the way we make our enclosure and all that. But in terms of communications and having a talk to things, uh, you know, IP-based speakers and all that that's never really taken off. Is that more what you're referring to? Yes, sir. Yeah. It just, you know, it's interesting because a couple of companies have tried it and whether it's ahead of its time or it was a price barrier or people just didn't want to be running, you know, the proper types of uh, Cat5 or 6 or whatever to loudspeakers in addition to the speaker wire, it just has never gone down the path that I believe could be very interesting because if you could send information over the network to a speaker to make it do different things, I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, you're not tweaking the room as much. Of course, now acoustic treatment comes into play. So if I'm looking at just from the speaker side of things, it's something that a few companies have tried but haven't really done well. When you add things that we do like amplifiers and all that, putting those on the network, that's that's pretty standard now. Yeah. So that helps answer your question. But that's, it's, it's just the speakers have nearly never gone that direction successfully. Okay. Very good. All right, guys, uh, let's wrap this up here. Uh, Shrago mentioned the, the Microsoft Dell thing, so, you know, that's, uh, well, I think we'll, pat, we'll we'll skip that one unless either, any of the three of you want to say something profound about Dell selling services. Um, I like the Surface Pro 3. I highly recommend it for all people, but I wouldn't recommend buying a service contract through Dell just because, well, if you're in the technology field, I would hope you could support your own stuff. <laughs> it depends. There are small companies that don't have IT departments. Just saying. Again, that was just my arrogant way of saying I love my Pro 3. I love my Pro 3. I love my Pro 3. He wanted to get a dig in, you know. But of course, Apple did invent that little add-on um, keyboard, by the way. 
Yeah, they did. did notice that so I, take it, I take it you saw the comic from 2012. Oh, it was awesome. Yes, yes. If you didn't see it, uh, we'll put it on, on, on the show notes. It was a comic literally from, from three years ago when, uh, when the surface was, was announced. And it was a horrible caricature of Steve Ballmer. I mean, it, it accentuated all the bad parts of him. And um, it, he was showing, you know, he was showing the surface. And he was saying it's got a it's got a keyboard and this you know, I hate the keyboard. These are all these you know uh, 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 Apple, Apple fanboys fan you know yelling at them. That's horrible. Da, 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 da. And the last frame, the, the second frame is you know what? In in three years when Apple when Apple has a keyboard, you're gonna love it. And the last frame is Tim Cook, of course, three years later, literally saying, "Hey, you know, here's a keyboard." And you know the audience is saying, "Ooh, wow, you invented that, didn't you?" Yes, we did. We've reinvented and rethought the input process. Yes. Tactile is in. <laughs> Shoot. Styluses are in. I still remember from reading the, the well, not only from Steve Jobs' original uh, keynote about the, the iPad, but uh, in, the, in the biography about him. You know, he, he, hates sty he hated styluses, right? Yeah, but that, he, there, there was a caveat to that, was there not? I mean, he, was, he knew the art community wanted it. There was a thousand... Uh, little add-ons for artists to add to their apples to draw with. So Which, they were pads with styluses. Well, and they they've they sold them since then. Entry. Yeah, they've I mean, sold them since the very beginning. But he was saying that, in his opinion, and since it was his company, it was his opinion. You know, uh, he even said at one point, if they ever release a stylus, you know, they've gone too far off course. Well, but again, I think that was I think that was a matter of entering data or like the Newton or the old um, palms oh that gosh, you needed the the stylus to move things, right? You needed it to enter things in graffiti. The iPad was not intended for that. But on the artist side with artists' applications, you needed an input device that would actually have the gradations and fine lining and differences that they wanted. Yeah. Uh, well, I forget what the name of the company is that makes a pencil input. Uh, is it called pencil or fifty? Well, there's, there's several of them. I mean, there there really are several. They're of them. the big one now. Fifty three, and they have a, uh, yeah. a product called pencil. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like a pencil. Well, and, and uh, fifty three has a very cool paper app, which sounds mm, odd. That's right. They're the ones that came out with paper. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it <laughs> for for people who like writing on weird. You know, I don't know where my moleskin is, but you know who like it, just kitschy mm -hmm. little um, journals and stuff like that. The paper app is very cool because it has all these different. Uh, colors and and you know it can you can do the old sepia um, or sepia uh, color uh, paper quote unquote on the on the uh, on the on the on the the iPad surface. So, all right. Last but not least, this is just something fun. Uh, it's it's called the catch box. This is from our, our friends over at avinteractive.com. It's the world's first throwable microphone. Uh, if you're watching the video, I'll see if I can't. You know, totally jack this up and, and show the video on it. Um, so here's what you've got. You, you've got a squishy little cube, and it has a microphone in the middle of it. And the speaker is speaking using the microphone. And when someone raises their hand and says, hey, I have a comment, they throw it to them. And <laughs> so, okay, that's that's all I got. That, that I just thought was cool. So... I I will miss the days of the metal-bodied handhelds, where which were used to actually throw at terrible ideas. But you know, the the point that they made in the article, which was really entertaining, um, was that it, this is a good interactive way of doing it. It makes it a little bit more fun. Um, the one thing I'm very very curious about here will be uh, what happens when somebody gets a little over aggressive and that element passes passes within three inches of a speaker. Because, you know, feedback as air crosses that element is going to be hilarious when the element is constantly moving by things. Mm -hmm. And then well, you I wonder if there's a way it switches off. A maybe maybe an accelerometer of some sort. Yeah, like an accelerometer that realizes it's in, in air and it mutes itself. Mm. You know, there, there's a, not to give them a, a pump, but there's a better solution to that. There's something called, uh, what was it, um, crowd mics? Crowd mics is the, yeah, yeah they're the. No, uh, and now hang on, hang on, hang on for a second here. Crowd mics are not the answer to everything. They're not because you well, not to my lunch menu, but well, no, it's very nice. Mr. Tucker <laughs> is in a in a in a several hundred thousand square foot uh, warehouse, right? Yeah. Uh, Shrago is in an office. Mark's in an office. I'm in a in a little itty bitty cubicle office. So crowd mics are not the answer to all of our. If we were all doing a, a video conference, which is kind of in essence what we're doing, um, 
crowd mics would not be the answer here. And and much apologies to all the folks who are who've got these really great groovy, you know, the uh, the center, you know, almost looks like a, a, a fluorescent light fixture microphones. Not every situation calls for crowd mics. Well, wait a minute. We're talking about the app. You know what we're talking about. There's an app called CrowdMic. Oh, I thought you meant yeah, CrowdMic. We've actually oh. done a we've actually done an apps show about it. Yes. In fact. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, I mean that that to me seems to be a better solution though, uh, that somebody can can control it. I mean this is a team building. It's, 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 that it's, that's the thing there is, it, and you hit it right there is it's a different kind of solution. Yeah. App, yeah. I see CrowdMics as being a much more formal, a much more uh, a very very big in the education world. But if you're talking about team building and you i mean this this is uh, this is a characteristic development for something that would be on the show silicon valley which is oddly accurate of what happens in silicon valley mm. you know as you're as the the fun little kitsch thing that you throw into a conference to incur, to improve team building to improve audience participation because even with crowd mics there's still the hesitation that you have to stand up in front of people and do this whereas if you're throwing that microphone around like a beach ball it does promote more people getting involved in the conversation Ooh. I just realized what it was like to me. It's Mr. Microphone for the 21st century. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, baby, I'll be back later. <laughs> oh, All right. That's going to do it. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we'll see Mark in about a month. Uh, for those of you going to, to Cedia, uh, you will be there, correct? Yes, yes. Booth 7409. We're a little self-promoting. 74. And what will you have to give away? Because... In case anybody who likes swag, what are you giving away at seven four zero nine? Something. Something. <laughs> Good. Now there's night. a teaser. There's oh, no, a... You know what? He's, he's not. He's he's not telling enough. We've all covered this uh, booth a number of times. Awesome speakers. Remarkable stuff. Thank and the you. story you tell about them, you have to go to the show to hear. One, you say it, uh, and two, to hear these things. Because if you were at, uh, it was at Infocom this year in in Florida. They were all along the hallway. Yeah. Yes, correct. Nice and there. remarkable sound. I mean, it's, yeah, I just love. I love talking to you, and I love the whole concept. And it's a great little, great little box. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate. Or lack you. of box. Or lack of box. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The first time I, the first time we saw him was last year at Cedia, uh, and you did something similar where you had them hanging from from the poles, and um, yeah. yeah, it was. And ISC. And ISC. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fun little, fun little idea I had because you had to kind of keep. Keep the feel of Beale Street audio and have a good way to display it and you know, show off our stuff. So thank you, appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. All, all the cool. checks are in the mail. <laughs> um, how do uh, <laughs> how do uh, people get a hold of you or Beale Street? Uh, me directly is just Mark at Get Beal and Beal is spelled B E A L E. Or if you're French, it's today. Uh, mark at getbeal.com. Uh, info at beal.com is the main line. And uh, anytime you could email me, call me directly. 949-472-4141. I'm always happy to get my direct line out for anybody who wants to chat about what we do, All what right. they do. And very good. And since we are uh, uh, big football fans here, just to, just for clarification, you are a Giants fan. New York football Giants. All right. Very good. Being uh, from New Jersey, huh? Jersey, you know, you got to have a little Giants in you. you gotta, well, you know what? You Jersey folks confuse the heck out of me when it comes to sports. Because I have friends that are Giants and Jets fans, right? Oh, Within two miles of each other. I have friends who are Yankees and, and Mets fans within two miles of each other. So all y'all are crazy. Don't even talk about hockey with Rangers and Devils. Well, Rangers, Devils, and Islanders, don't forget. Islanders, yeah. They're that other team. <laughs> Jeez. Supposedly there's a Buffalo team, but I know nothing about it. I don't either. Somewhere. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of hockey, because Georgia doesn't even know realize football exists, uh, hockey is 30, 28 days away, uh, Mr. Tucker, Mr. Rangers. So uh, how can people get a hold of you and your musings? Uh, at Tucker Twos or Tucker Twos on most social networks. I'm there. All right. Very good. And last but not least, um, he doesn't like, well, I shouldn't say you don't like any sports. You like base. <laughs> I, I almost said it. I almost said it. You do. You do. Just... I don't like any sports. Let's see. Um, I have my Oakland A's. Yes. I actually taunted a series of Cavs fans during the NBA Finals in Orlando during Infocom <laughs> this year because of the lovely Golden, Golden State, State Warriors. Warriors NBA champs. And I also and this and tomorrow I'm actually going to be going to the Cal Bears because uh, I grew up with co with college football going to see Cal. Um, 
So I'll be going to the I'll be going to my first football game of the season to watch uh, the number one passing offense in the country uh, take on the San Diego State Aztecs. Yeah, give me that stat you gave me yesterday because that's very impressive. Regardless, uh, Jared Goff, our starting quarterback, threw for 309 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception in 30 minutes. Because after the first half of our game last week, we were up 52 or 54 to nothing. Oh, that's that's brutal. Yeah. So we put up seven, when we only hung 73, 72 on them last week. Uh, so the final score was like 72 to 14. So, yeah, it's a prolific passing attack. We refer to it as the bear raid for our lovely golden bears. Very nice. All right, Mr. Trago, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, best way to do so is Twitter at JSRAGO, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that seems to be the two most popular ways as I inch closer to 900 followers and just surpassed that 501 plus mark on LinkedIn. So thanks to everybody who's following and connecting. It's been, it's been a fun ride the last couple of years to watch these numbers climb. So, um, I appreciate it, but you can also find me, um, writing occasionally at avnation.tv. Um, the latest thing I have out though is over at commercial integrator where I uh, talked about the five trends that will shape the next five years in AV. So if you want to see me break out my crystal ball, uh, you can go download that white paper at Commercial Integrator. Um, and, and eventually I will get soundreason.org back up to uh, what I'm looking to do with it. It's just been going through a little bit of a transition period as I've moved more of my content over to Aviation. Yes. Uh, and we, we do appreciate it because it's good stuff. You, you do need to go down with that white paper, though. It's, it's very well done. So... Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't don't follow me. Actually, if you want to, you can unfollow me and get Trago over the the nine hundred mark. So, I think I have at least five people. So you five people unfollow me and, and go follow Trago. Um, but go by the website if you would please. Uh, Trago's J- Mr. Uh, Trago is very 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 right. He writes a lot. Mr. Tucker writes a lot. Uh, actually, George has been doing something kind of cool the last couple months. He's been doing some. Um, throwback Thursday is that right George where he's, yeah. he's bringing out uh, some articles he wrote a number of years ago um, just yeah first just of all see, well, how they stand up and how they compare well um, not just that but you need to be well read sometimes to to read Mr. Tucker's um, pieces because if you're well, not then you're right. going to learn words and I just yeah and ideas and well, ideas some of them were, were written for a manufacturer's newsletter that I used to produce so sometimes i had a little bit more liberty to be uh snarky and a little you know sort of mind stretching with people it was very they're very cool though yeah seriously yeah. Uh, we, so, love our, we, we love yeah. our very own hunter s tucker yes hunter s tucker i like if that. only i could still smoke you know <laughs> but at be- least i don't mumble that's you between you and your wife interviews yes mm-hmm. i know how are you hunter so, uh, yeah, avianation.tv, uh, all t- sorts of people. This is Friday. Mr. Mike Brandis from, from Badio gives us a Friday 5 every week. Um, so, yeah, really great stuff. We also have some really cool new shows uh, in the pipeline that we are in the process of cooking up for you, uh, all sorts of different things. Uh, we have a new EdTech coming down the pipeline, a new st- state of control, lighting shows, Pico uh, projectors, mm-hmm. all sorts of different things. So check that out if you would, please. Uh, me personally, I'm a Bears fan, so um, sorry. Pray for me for the next five years, I guess. You know, until yeah. <laughs> <laughs> until Cutler's out of there. So go Bears! Uh, I know you're going to lose regardless. So uh, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This has been AV Week. Oh, 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 oh.